0: I'm Dr. Susan Eyrick, and welcome to Earthfire Radio. Earthfire Institute is a wildlife sanctuary and rehabilitation center whose mission is to change how people see and therefore treat wildlife and nature. Monica Gagliano is Research Associate Professor of Evolutionary Ecology. She's an adjunct Senior Research Fellow and former fellow of the Australian Research Council at the Centre of Evolutionary Biology at the University of Western Australia. She's currently based at the University of Sydney as a research affiliate at the Sydney Environmental Institute and a Senior Research Fellow at the School of Life Environmental Sciences, opening the doors of the brand new Biological Intelligence Lab. She is the author of numerous scientific articles in the fields of animal and plant behavioral and evolutionary ecology. She's the co-editor of The Green Thread, Dialogues with the Vegetal World, The Language of Plants, Science, Philosophy and Literature, as well as Memory and Learning in Plants. Her work has extended the concept of cognition in plants, including perception, learning processes, memory and consciousness. Monica has pioneered the brand new research field of plant bioacoustics. For the first time experimentally demonstrating that plants emit their own voices and moreover detect and respond to the sounds of their environments. It's a delight to speak with this courageous, groundbreaking scientist. Welcome, Monica. I would love it if you would share a bit about your understanding of how intelligent plants are and I I mean, all these different levels, right? The mm-hmm. level of just survival and uh, communication and then to the other levels that you wrote about in your book. But if we could start, if you're willing, start with just your discoveries of what plants actually are. I'm multi-leveled, so it's a difficult question to answer, but start with a more grounded.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 I hear you. Um, well, it is interesting that, uh, and you're totally right, this entire field is becoming quite mainstream, almost, yeah. and it's very good news because it means that uh, soon there will be a lot more people doing experiments and explorations, and, and it means that soon we will uh, learn more, and it won't be a taboo anymore, and, and that's great. And that's exactly the best compliment that anybody can do to me, for example, to my science, to make it totally redundant. It's like, yeah, we already know this. Oh, yeah, of course. And he's like, great job, well done. Um, and of course, I mean, I'm not, I, I, like you, I'm an animal ecologist first. So I started my work with animals, and then I ended up working with the plants only in the last decade. And uh, so I am by no means... Um, a botanist or a plant biologist. And I'm always in awe by uh, these guys, especially uh, when they start, you know, describing the details of the private life of plants and, um, and how much we already know about them. And, you know, like from a very grounded perspective, like how much we know about how they function inside and how much we know about they function in the context of their environment. I was at dinner with a friend last night and she was telling me about, uh, she works with orchids. And like the craziness, like uh, each one species seems to do some strange trick of his own that no one else does. And all of those uh, different uh, ways of using colors, shapes, and even closing or opening their their parts in different ways um, speak to others. In this case often with the with the orchids it speaks to pollinators or potential like uh, uh, duped um, uh, bees or wasps and and it's amazing it's like uh, we actually have known so much about them already and um, and like from how they explore the ground and how the roots grow and what they like to eat and what they're looking for in terms of minerals and elements that they need to to build their bodies. And then, of course, on the top, how they like the the beautiful research done in the last few decades on the chemical communications for the volatiles. And I think this is one of the stories that is becoming much more uh, well accepted and and popular of our plants use uh, chemical volatiles, both underground and on the top. To communicate with others where there are other plants and so uh, tell them you know if there is uh, trouble in the in the air literally uh, and so they they can warn each other of uh, potential predators they can call for help if there are predators around uh, and they call on other animals you know so all of these interactions which um, we've been studying for a while uh, now are kind of all blossoming together in a way uh, to create this picture of like okay we have known plants and we're known about plants all of these amazing things and now suddenly uh, we are kind of forcing all of this knowledge together and realize that you know we have looked at them as objects uh, mm-hmm. but actually there's nothing of ob- of an object here. They are all subject, they're all doing, as I said, each one orchid seems to have its own agenda and they're all doing their own specific thing. And this is true for all plants. So suddenly the old picture, which it's a really old picture, it comes from Aristotle and probably even before him, of seeing plants as objects and then commodify them because it's convenient to Um, us. It's just becoming harder and harder to keep it, you know, and to to sustain it. And of course, uh, you know, there are a major interest in keeping that picture as it is. And um, because we have created a, a system that is based on the fact, and, and it demands that these plants, and not just plants, but animals too, as you know well, and humans included, they kind of need to remain objects. They need to stay... Um, as kind of yeah, desold. You know, like they they need to they need to remain numbers and and figures that we can count because you know that's the system that we have created and we have perpetuated for a long time. So it's a, one of our bad habits, but it doesn't mean that we can't change that habit. And I think that what's emerging from the science perspective is that. All of the knowledge that we have accumulated over this, the, the, the the decades and now is coalescing into um, literally it's almost like a, the different parts are coming together and creating more than the parts. So the new emergence of of uh, plants as subjects and subject of their own life with agency and so with even rights, you know, of their own. Um, it's demanding that we we shift the perspective of seeing plants as objects, they become subjects and suddenly there are some activities that we have uh, condoned and granted right for us to, to do and accepted as, uh, as okay, uh, they become kind of unacceptable. Yeah. And um, so I think that this is really the main reason why the science, this kind of science has had such a, uh, a big um, roadblock at the beginning. Uh, because um, whether it's done consciously or not, but I think that people within the academia itself and not only realize it's like, whoa, this change changes everything. Mm-hmm. And we can't afford to change everything because uh, it's too scary to change everything. And, um, but guess what? This change changes everything because it was always uh, just a story that it was flawed and it didn't really make any sense. And now we're just noticing that and so we we are invited to to correct the trajectory, and uh, and of course we are invited with a little bit more um, urgency these days because um, that same mindset that objectify plants, objectify animals, uses plants and animals, including humans, mm-hmm. is. Um, is the same mind that is still colonizing our perspective right now. So people often think that colonization or colonialism is over. (laughs) It's from another century. It's like, no, 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 colonialism is right here, nice and healthy. It's still doing exactly the same thing that it has done for centuries. And it's just um, doing it in a way that as often is the case, the colonized doesn't realize that it's being colonized until it's too late. And so, uh, and I heard this word and I really liked it and I, I want to explore it in my own mind a little bit more, yeah, it, I think it's very urgent that we decolonize our concept of plants, our concept of animals, our own concept of ourselves. So the, um, you know, ch- the change that is needed right now as a planet, as a, you know, to, to do. To, to actually reach planetary health, rather than planetary destruction and crisis, um, it becomes possible. If we connect and, uh, with other beings, then yeah. we don't colonize them anymore. Exactly, and that's exactly the thing.
0: So it's the disconnection that causes the problem.
1: Absolutely, and, then and it's the same.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm just thinking about how the irony is when you start to connect with other living beings, everything around you starts to glow and become alive and magical. And what a way <laughs> to live that is. I know. It's, it's only a beautiful thing once we go over the dark chasm, you know, of our, yeah. of here, our own thinking we're going to lose. Lose. Yeah. We'll lose our power. Yeah.
1: yeah. No, suddenly you become human. How amazing is that? At the moment we are not humans. We are playing, being humans, and we are, I don't think most of us are doing a very great job about it. No. Most of us are still enslaved in one form or another to other ideas that don't serve us. And so there is nothing there that makes us really human. We're just uh, trapped like everyone else. But as you said, and that's correct, I think for me, I feel exactly the same. Um, when you connect, with someone, or whatever form it is, um, then you, you see them differently. If you, you can't colonise anymore, then you have to protect
0: and, and share.
1: Yeah, and learn from each other, and that's the thing, you suddenly realise that you can learn a lot.
0: I was looking at some of the things in your, in your wonderful book. You had a lovely phrase, ecological intimacy. Hmm. Really what we're talking about. Our fixation on movement. That if it's something doesn't move, it's not the same as us. Don't yeah, they just move in a different time frame.
1: Yeah, exactly. I sometimes I, th- I say to people, you know, think about this: we have been problem with plants, and we're just starting to appreciate. You know, since we had the advent of like uh, the modern technology of cameras, now we can actually do time lapse, and we can start appreciating the plants actually do move and all of that. And uh, but think about mountains. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like exactly, it's like people's like, Yeah, but mountains are not moving. It's like, Well, they are moving too. I mean, this entire planet is is on the move, and uh, and we think that you know, unless it moves our time scale, which is just one of so many, um, it's not moving and it's not important. That's the thing when we say not moving, we're saying it's not important, and it's like, Oh, there are big things here who are moving very slowly and they're very important. And we notice that when they make themselves feel alive, like as soon as a volcano erupts, it's like, oh, suddenly the mountains is alive. It's like, yeah. Do
0: <laughs> you think of it as alive in the same way as a plant or a human or an animal?
1: Well, uh, I went to, um, when I went to uh, Hawaii a few years ago and I found myself uh, at the top uh, with Pele, and uh, she was erupting. Mm. Um, I thought, well, I felt the rawness of this mountain, this volcano, and I felt how much uh, power there was there. And I realized how little we are. As a species, we can be wiped out anytime. Mm. So we're not because um, I think we are also welcomed here. And that's the other side of the coin, is that they often, uh, and I used to do that myself, it's like, oh, if only we could wipe out the human species, we would be fine. You know, if we go and we leave everyone else alone, we will be fine. <laughs> the planet will continue and we can just, uh, you know, we are the problem. I think, of course, we are creating some trouble at the moment, uh, but I actually, um yeah, I don't. I think that what I feel, especially when I'm in places like a volcano, especially when it's erupting, I realize how small I am. But also that if I, if if this planet wanted to wipe us out, it would have done it. It's got so many ways to do it, and instead, he hasn't. And it's almost like no, because uh, every single species that is here, including us, and all every other, has the right to be here. Is, uh, is wanted here. So, wiping us out is the same as saying uh, that it's okay to have distinction of other species. And in fact, right. that's not okay, and our species as well wouldn't be okay.
0: I think we have a unique contribution to make, if we wouldn't.
1: Mm. Yeah, well, exactly. So, like all the other species are making their own unique yeah. contribution. Sure. And we miss one, we lose a, a, a part, an aspect of what we are as well. And that's a tragedy. That's the real tragedy.
0: Yeah. And that we never even know. Mm. When I go walking in the woods sometimes, um, I think when we go walking in the woods, meaning humans, yeah a, a respectful way, my sense is that we're welcomed. We're wanted and welcomed and interested and wanted to be connected with and if we go in the wrong way that there's terror and uh, and we don't even know we don't even know the terror we're causing or the waste we're doing or the the wisdom we're missing my entire life's passion is to try to help us see that for everybody's sake yes humans animals earth because it's it's such a tragedy yeah and there's so much beauty on the other side if we can tune to it. So that's what captivated me about your work. You know, even many years ago, when I first, before you had some of these more whatever word you want to use, mystical, shamanic, whatever word you think it fits best, there was something about your awareness that attracted me, the way you were talking and understanding you had. And that's, that's something that's really important to be shared which is why mm-hmm. I want to speak with you. It's where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. As you said at the Bioneers, it's where you're coming from that makes the wisdom and makes the people want to listen to you. Mm-mm. What did you talk about at Bioneers?
1: <laughs> imagination. <laughs> the role of imagination in science as well. Ah. And now, you know, imagination is everywhere. And... And literally we are making the world all the time and not just the human but all of us you know everything is imagining the world all the time and and in a way yeah i, I was hoping that the word imagination we bring in, you know the enchantment as you're describing you know the enchantment of this place is like yeah. just just stop a second to think what what you're actually doing and it's like you should be mind blown just right there of of being here yeah it's incredible it's like let alone like talking to plants is i know the fact that you're actually here it's incredible it's incredible Uh and um so yeah imagination science and of course i use the plants as my little uh helper to trying to showcase what it means and i guess one of the things that i was also trying to convey was that you know, to go from one um, way of operating, which is the one that we have done up to this point, and then moving into a different way of operating, which is, I think, kinder and, and more loving, and more encompassing, all-encompassing. Um, the, the steps to, ta- to be taken from, to go from one to the other, they seem to be so, like, uh, impossible. So, uh, no, too scary. I can't do it, you know? And I lose control and I feel totally lost and chaos will unleash. And, uh, and that's right. <laughs> chaos might unleash. And yes, you might lose control. And yes, you might be lost. But only to find exactly what you've been looking for all mm-hmm. your life that was missing because you were, you were missing. And so chaos, loss, lack of control, and all of those might be exactly what you need to experience so that you can uh, move your imagination in a new direction, which these things will not allow you to, because they're like, no, if you do that, we are going to, you know, you're threatening us. So um, yeah, and I mean, for me as well, as I try to describe in the book as well, is Mm. like, some of those experiences are not uh, smooth and easy and loving and like some of those experiences are pretty traumatic and uh but i guess we are going through this uh, process exactly right now yeah. you know the we are in the middle of our traumatic experience to move from something that is a very distracted destructive, distracted um and separate situation to um a kind of new reality, the the bedrock of reality, which was always there. But as I said before, we forgot about it. And and thankfully, uh, not everyone forgot. And so some of us have the role of uh, helping, supporting others to remember just by being here. Uh, others had uh, maybe the more unfortunate role to have to hold to the remembering hold on to the remembering while everyone was forgetting. And I guess in this, I put a lot of our uh, indigenous elders from across the world, which, you know, they had to go through some real horror. Sorry. But it was their job to remember for us so that I can remember now. So, I'm very grateful. That's why people think like, oh, it's fanciful these days to just like go and talk to a shaman or talk to whatever, someone has got feathers in their head. It's like, um, if you realize what these people really represent, what this part of humanity really represents, My God, the job that I have to do is incredible. Their job was the hardest job. We got the easy job now. And if they didn't do it, we would be really lost. But they made sure that we wouldn't be. And this is... Despite losing everything and despite all the pain that it, you know, he had to be inflicted so that we could remember that this is not the way. So it's just, I know, it's just beyond. It's like, that's why I have a lot of respect. And although my knowledge, my understanding of um, what they carry is so, so superficial and minimal, Mm -hmm. I can. Appreciate, you know, what's behind them. It's regardless of the details of, oh, this this tribal group does this, or this other uh, group does that. Like, it doesn't matter the the core of what they represent, mm-hmm. and that's why losing them and and the cultural um, the cultural richness that they bring, that is another tragedy. Because it's like matter. Oh, we should keep it alive because uh, you know it's fancy and it's beautiful. It's like no, no, no. It's the bedrock that if we lose that, we will be finding it very, very hard to remember. So, yeah. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> no, just the opposite.
0: How how could you not be emotional? Mm. Sorry is the wrong word. <laughs> it's a wrong word too, but. <laughs> Um, what you're saying is so incredibly profound it would have a lot less impact if you weren't emotional about it Mm. so it's beautiful I'm crying in response to you across Mm. 6,000 miles (laughs) because I know you you emanated it and I felt it Mm. and understood it and reflecting it back to you
1: Yeah, thank you. We are just perfectly in the right place at the right time, all of us. And um, now it's just a matter of really, really, as you just said, I guess, amplifying what we know it's needed the most now. I
0: had no idea what we're going to talk about, except I thought we're going to talk about the intelligence of plants. (laughs) There you go. You know, and, and uh, I want to talk about that so we could do that another time, not just intelligence, the whole essence of them. Yeah. Um, this was really important to be said. So it went where it went.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, like sometimes, you know, when people say, oh, can we do an interview? And they they send you questions. And I'm like, I never look at the questions. Like, I don't want to know what question you have, because these are questions you're having now. And then when we talk, who knows what needs to be spoken? I mm-hmm. didn't have a clue that we would go here. And actually, I didn't know that I, that I felt this way until now. That's, oh, that's so lovely. That's so
0: important. People are always try mm-hmm. to tell me, structure your interviews. What are your questions going to be? And... Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess. How do
1: you know? How do you know until you get there? <laughs> it doesn't feel right to me. It feels exactly. Like, it,
0: it feels oppressive. Yeah. if mean, that's exactly the right word to do it that way. Um, but yeah. I mean, I certainly wanted to have read your book, which I did, so I have that background. But um, this is wonderful.
1: Thank you for bringing this out, I did, as I said, I didn't know that I felt this way, and it's the first time that I'm able to listen to it myself and it's like oh that's that's wow. what it really is about for you so yeah, <laughs> thank you <Wow.
0: laughs> I would love to talk with you some more about how the plants taught you this and and to this is what you learned from them, and your, the plants are the way in for you, like the animals are the way in for me. But I think you've done very unique research with plants that no one else has, in spite of all the great stuff that's going on. And I think it's important to share that as well. If we want to, if we want to change plant-human relations so it becomes ethical, and we understand there's a moral element to it because they're living, sentient beings with their own type of intelligence. Just because it doesn't look like ours, just like a yeah. possesses an intelligence that doesn't look like ours. Yeah. But so one of my passions is to treat all living things with care and respect, yeah. and that includes plants. I can do my own writing with the animals, well, not you know, along with other wonderful other people who are really good at it, um, but not. I'm not as much about plants and i just want to share it more because my instinct is it's there and i think it's really important to share it particularly because of the monoculture and the mm-hmm. modification and all that so i want to amplify your voice that way from from the other perspective the scientific perspective which as you said in your book is so important because real science is being open and and taking what comes and um, that's what you did. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of guidance.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm about Sydney. And the new lab is, um, is going to be called BI Lab, huh. as opposed to AI. And huh. it's going to be Biological Intelligence Lab. And the idea is uh, hmm. looking at biological intelligence. Obviously, it's going to be in a biological science uh uh, Schools, so or we're going to do the biological science stuff, and so I've got more experimented that I set up in terms of like how plants uh, make their choices and the decision, and how they learn, and how learning maybe is uh, shared between them, and all of that, which is what's coming next. But uh, the idea of the of the lab is also to not restrict just to science, but. embed that as one of the prongs of what it means to look at biological intelligence and so it's not plant intelligence but it's biological because any system does that so it can be like you know a river or it can be animal or it can be a plant or it can be any other creature that we haven't really looked at yet and so basically everything is welcome and and beyond that, which is really relevant to what you were mentioning before, is um, uh, adding the extra perspective or adding the including the perspective like from but officially not just as a sideline, as part of the main core of you know yeah the the environmental uh, philosophers, uh, the health lawyers, uh, the um, anthropologists, uh, indigenous knowledge. But as officially, this is what the lab does. It's not just, oh, and by the way, I also sideline on this. No. Mm. So the these perspective are actually always operating together. And one thing that um, the, experiment, the, the lab itself is, to me, the biggest experiment because all of the models that we are going to focus on, at least at the beginning, are all you know, like plants are and bees, they are all uh, systems that are kind of decentralized. So they don't have a brain, but they still operate. And that's the main thing, right, about like plants, oh, how they do it, they don't have a brain. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's like, you know, overstated. And uh, so my experiment would be to see, I I think that they have a lot to teach us, obviously, but I actually think that some of the... um, some of the teaching that can come through is how we uh, learn from other systems like plants to create uh, a nice, a better, healthier, kinder, uh, more compassionate system for the human. So the first step is decentralize and see what would happen because it removes that pyramidal structure and it just like whoop, falls apart into a circle, hopefully, like or that. many circles.
0: I like that. <laughs> doesn't work like that, it works
1: like, like Exactly, that. yeah, it emerges when it's exactly, that's it, I, I don't know how to describe that yet, but that's exactly it. So the idea is to allow for uh, multiple leadership and no leadership. So there is no the head of the lab. I'm not gonna be the head of the lab. Uh, and uh, I'm just gonna be the head of the lab when it's required, because it's my skill that is required for that to lead. Yeah. But then at the moment, there will be maybe a student that that's has to leave for something.
0: For something. I don't. How do, you, how do you build an organization that's not a regular organization? And how do exactly.
1: You,
0: for me, I have so, to raise because I don't have any extra, external support. So how do you make that work organically without losing your principles, without connecting with life? Exactly. I struggle with that all the time, but that's not nearly as interesting as what you're talking about.
1: No, but that's exactly it. It It's like, how do we retain the individuality while also being completely part of the whole? And I'm sort of the head, but I'm not really the head because I'm just the one who does the work. work (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) You know, when I was little, um, we had a backyard in the suburbs, but we had slime molds. I'd watch them go in the backyard. And it was just, I was so totally fascinated by these beings that weren't plants and weren't animals so i wrote an article about it it's on my website but it's what you were saying about um decentralized intelligence how could you be more decentralized than a slime mold just a bunch of cells that eventually come together and that they can outperform a computer i know (laughs) transportation better than the the subway system of tokyo how is that possible that to me that just is I always loved them and I instinctively knew there was something incredible, but then I read this article said, wow. yeah. and what that implies about the nature of intelligence everywhere, which is- Exactly,
1: just- exactly. And actually the slime mold is going to be one of the models that we're going to have at the wow. lab as well. So wow. there you go. <laughs> yes. Yeah, wow. So the, and that's really the, your question here is exactly that, it's like, how does it happen that you can have these different modes of doing and some of these modes work much better even than some of the ones that we have emphasized so Uh much and um, so the lab itself is going to be my biggest experiment of like how does it work what are the principles if there are any and uh, and yeah how do you move in that space how how uncomfortable or comfortable it might be and yeah I'm very curious to
0: to see that so um, interesting because one of the things I'm struggling with just as a organization because i founded Earthfire. there's never enough money there's it's a strange far out model animals have souls um grizzly bears have yeah. can actually give blessings maybe <laughs> Almost, uh, they do um and they're responsive to energy work uh all these strange things how, i can't raise money on that how do you not you, yet so you not have. Yet. To, how do you make a structure but i don't want a structure Um, so I've been struggling with that just as how you develop an organization and then I'm talking to you I never expected that connection (laughs) oh this is another way to think about it still I don't know if I can make it happen in this culture in this structure I mean I have to raise so much money every month like $30,000 to to feed everyone I have to do it how do I do it in a new way without losing money so everybody starves to death before I find my way (laughs) but it's so interesting because it's not what i was thinking of at all when i i wanted to talk to you about plant intelligence now i'm thinking about the model i'm trying to do here developing earth fire um is the same model you're doing with your biological intelligence the underlying model is the
1: same that's it yeah quite wonderful <laughs> there you go. So we can report back on each other. we like, so how did you go? <laughs> I have no idea. This experiment is uh, like, I have no idea if it's going to work. Maybe the lab is not going to work that way. Maybe it's too early. Maybe, who knows? Or yeah, maybe we will attract just the right people. It's not too
0: early. But I'd love yeah. to stay in touch with you about it. And I have no idea. I've been here now. I started Earth Fire in 1998. So we've been here 20 years. And I have no idea how I got here. <laughs> you no, know, really, you know, I could I could tell you what happened, but how it happened, why am why we're here, still here, and that now we're we're in a um, a flow where I yeah. finally speak to someone like you. I have no idea how that happened. I didn't. Ha- the animals didn't talk to me the way the plants did to you. All I know is that I got here. Yeah. And it feels so. You need to know. <laughs> it smells right. So that's what I'm going to keep trying to develop the organization as best I can from that frame of reference.
1: Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, hey, obviously, whatever it is that you're doing or the way in which you're moving, it is working. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here.
0: Well, I'm still here. But that exactly.
1: doubt. <laughs> but, you know, if it wasn't meant to stay, it would have gone already. Yeah. Recently, like, only a few months ago, I... Um, I found myself going to Mexico and uh, I didn't that was about mm, in May June and I didn't know I was going to Mexico until a, a few months earlier and um, it was one of my plants that had trickled in some information of like, like literally bits and pieces like if I was making a puzzle and it was like, oh, it's about this, it's about that, and I, the pa- the parts on their own, I couldn't understand what they meant and what they they were pointing at until they all came together. And it was like, oh, okay, I'm going to Mexico and I'm going to this place and I'm going to do this and 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 then it became kind of clear. And but actually, until I arrived. In Mexico, and I found myself there doing exactly what I was guided to do all the all along. I realized that it wasn't just um, the oh the plant guided me to go to Mexico, but it it became very clear that many of the things that have happened throughout my life up to this point, since I was little, not just like recently, they were all little guidances that had arrived and had, uh, were experiences that I had to have to realize that in the moment when I found myself in Mexico, that was the, the point that it was always the place where I was gonna arrive to from the very beginning, even if I didn't know that that was the arrival point. And in that sense, then there was a remembering, like backwards in the sense that I needed to have the experience or I need to have experiences that I didn't necessarily understand in that context, or I couldn't foresee as becoming oh, a trip to Mexico in this place for this uh, specific purpose. And, uh, but in the moment in which I was totally there with that purpose, it was then clear that everything had been orchestrated in a way. It felt like, like everything had been already laid down exactly to bring me to that point of convergence. And so it made me think that these point of convergences are all along our life. It's just that because we are forgetting all the time who we are, uh, we don't realize. And so we think that our life just goes by and we're doing things. And uh, we have little stories here and there that um, maybe pop up a little bit more because there are a bit special or something different happened. But reality is that every single moment in your life is a point of convergence that come streaming through, straight from your other experiences. And it was already there from the very beginning. And um, so I didn't have to learn or have the understanding of what was happening. It was literally like, oh, do you remember? You, you, this happened when you were five and this happened when you were 10 and this happened when you were 20. And, and as you see all these dots, you realize that the dot that you're in was already there in the first place. So you're not understanding anything, you're just remembering the, the bigger picture that you, are, or you were part of, you are the bigger picture, so you were part of it from the beginning.
0: What made you actually go and buy an airplane ticket?
1: Hmm. Trust, trust, what I think it, that.
0: What made you think airplane ticket Mexico?
1: Yeah, I think that that is uh, trust in a process that has um, been unfolding over time, and, and I, now, I now know, again, with my body, I now know when it's just me making it up and making up a story, and when there is another quality to it, there is another feeling to it that is like, uh, no, you really need to pay attention to this. And often, I find myself resisting. It's like, no, 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 no. I don't want to. Oh, what? You know, makes it what? <laughs> and why? Why? And that's my mind that is trying to understand while there is nothing to understand. And so when I literally relax into then, like, okay, this is what you're saying? This is what it seems like I should be doing? Let's explore it. And, and so then I go and buy the ticket. And then I trust that when I get there, I will find out what it was that I was always... Meant to be experiencing there. Uh, I guess the other thing that uh, it should be said is, I like, it's not that I just go around and buy tickets to places all the time. <laughs> uh, this doesn't happen. Just like every five minutes, I get told to go tripping around. Uh, it would be well. It's already exhausting as it is. It would be way too much if it was the case. So it's not. Uh, I. I I don't want um, people to get this romantic idea, you know, that I get traveling all the time because the plants tell me, oh, go to Mexico. And there always seems to be fanciful places. No, sometimes uh, it's quite trivial in the sense that it's like uh, just a normal thing, like, no, don't, don't, don't go to this dinner. Or yeah, go and, and, and buy your, your grocery now. And then maybe I meet someone at the shop, while I'm by the grocery. And that's why I really needed to do it in that moment. And and that encounter opens up doors that are incredible for who knows what, maybe for my work, for my own friendship and personal life. And so in that sense, um, yeah, I think that we learn or we, we, we learn to remember the different textures of experiences. And uh, And I guess one of the, think, I think one of the difficulty that I can foresee for people uh, reading the book is to, um, you know, some people might read it and it's like, yeah, this sounds like a nice fancy story, but I don't understand. This doesn't happen to me or I don't understand because uh, how, how does it work? And he's like, I can provide the, uh, the recipe for how it works or how do you get it there to work because um there is no there is no recipe (laughs) there is no such a thing and but one thing that i can say for sure is that you got all of the ingredients that you need for that recipe to be cooked up and you are the main ingredient like yeah you're the life that is unfolding and so in that sense you don't need to know the recipe you are the recipe and and you will uh, buy um Having the experience of living fully and truly, then you will find that there are, um, yeah, differences in textures. There are differences in, uh, in how if things feel. And some things are just, you know, experiences for that moment that don't have any particular obvious repercussion. And other things have this feeling and this texture to them that is uh, you need to pay attention now and you need to follow through with this you need to follow this trail this is a trail so um, so i guess from that perspective is uh, is difficult to explain and and trying to describe something that needs to be experienced and unless you experience it for yourself uh you you won't know but um i guess for those who, who will be reading this work and do connect with the experience because they have their own personal experience, which doesn't have to be with plants like yourself, particularly with animals. And it could be just the land, just, (laughs) uh, just the land or the sky, the wind, people connect with all sorts of things. So whatever speaks to you, that's where your guidance comes from. But ultimately it is everywhere. And so it doesn't really matter in which form it arises for you. But, um, if you had those experiences, then uh, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. And I guess the only difference is that um, I was um, guided to really verbalize this, verbalizing the experience. And I try to do as a good job as I could. But I know that the words and the language here fall short. And they are limiting. And, and that's where, we, where I think I already know they fail us. Um, but in a way they encourage you to, yeah, because this is not about language, it's not about saying and speaking about it, it's about experiencing. So go and do it yourself, find out which one is the thing that speaks for you and, and you will know.
0: What happened in Mexico?
1: <laughs> I ended up for, uh, in, a, in a dark room for a long time so the plants were guiding me to do this um retreat in the dark in darkness for a long time and and again i didn't know i never had any particular desire to go in the in a dark room and and actually i was uh, very afraid of the dark since i was you know until i was about in mid 20s mm. so the 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 idea for me the idea to do a retreat in darkness for, for over a month, it would be like, you must be crazy, there is no way, that's what I'm gonna be doing. And um, yeah, and I I learned a lot in the darkness. I learned a lot about, um, yeah, what I'm made of and and what's in here and, um, and also what's in here <laughs> and the difference between the two. And I already, you know, I already knew that they had very different voices, but um, but the darkness is a. It was a very good place for me to, um, yeah, to really go deeply inwards, and and listen deeply. And so, even when I speak about textures and feelings, yeah, in the darkness, of course, everything was uh, magnified and emphasized even more. And so it becomes something that feels subtle, becomes very obvious. And then suddenly you you don't forget anymore. Even when now I'm here, I don't forget so easily. So it was a very good experience. And um, yeah, and it was interesting for me because um, these, um, the, the retreat in darkness, kind of coincided for me with the end of a very introspective time, which has been the last three years. And uh, as soon as I came out of the retreat, um, I had to go to conferences and uh, I ended up on the big stage at Bioneers. And so from a very inwards and, and deep in, it became exactly the opposite. And, and it was very clear to me when, um, when I left you know Mexico uh, after the retreat it was very clear that ah now the trick is like can you bring this
0: Uh this
1: quietness this stillness that is so easy of course well it's easier to to be um, that when you are in a in a place that is quiet uh, you're on your own you're in the dark so there is no distraction no disturbances now can you bring this essence outwards and be that in while you are completely uh um you know out and um and i think that was uh um yeah that's what i was asked to do you know as i moved through the various lectures that i did while i was in the u.s and of course a pioneers with a huge audience and and um on a big stage with big lights, just actually the total counterparts of like in the darkness is in a small room. Um, But in fact inside, uh, and, and that was for me the greatest gift. And again, I couldn't have known until that moment when I was on the stage and I could feel myself talking and I could hear myself. I was listening like everyone else to me talking. And so I was in my room in the darkness, (laughs) while someone, this body was uh, delivering what it needed to do uh, on a big stage with bright lights. (laughs) And, um, and that's the thing was ultimately what the plants were guiding me to to learn, like you're both, you're darkness and light and can you be both and not criminalize darkness or uh, emphasize the light as something magical and amazing. yeah. It is as much as everything else. So again, is um, can you sit in the middle between the two polarities which characterise this reality and um, and enjoy both and be both and also realise that you're none of them either. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was really it was really amazing. But I wouldn't have known, I couldn't have known, any of this until the moment I stood there and to know that. I needed to have gone to Mexico just a few months earlier and, do the, and had the other experience. So, yeah, in that sense, it's like, uh, I remember what you tried to teach me. Now I know it because I'm actually seeing it happening and I'm watching it.
0: One of the things I keep trying to do um, in my writing and yep. in myself is... Um, Whatever it's, it's sort of related to what you're saying, is whatever I'm doing, just sitting here talking with you, to also always be aware of the trees and the land and the animals, and out and out and out. So I'm only always speaking as part of a whole community. So all the time with us, we have all of life in the back of our mind. It's not really well said, but it's kind of the same thing. So you're always coming from a, a place of including just a much larger place, a more spacious place. Yes. Um, and then you, when you're speaking, you're speaking from that place. So it's another version of what you're saying, I think. Yeah. And then what you say is meaningful um, and rings true and might carry some, uh, not because I'm wise, which I'm not, but carry some wisdom through that out to others to share.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think what I observed while, for example, the unfolding of the Conference of pioneers was happening, I realized that it wasn't so much the words that I was saying that was so important. I didn't really say anything that people didn't know already, but I think it was because of that. I don't know if the best word would be like, uh, I was so present. Mm-hmm. with the space, which included me. <laughs> I was so present with that that what spoke was speaking through me, and not like oh, I'm channeling, but it's like, it was like, a, it it wasn't something that I needed to think about and then say. It was just, a, it, it was just wanting to be spoken, and so he spoke. And it could have been the voice, my voice, or it could have been anybody's voice. It was not so much the content of that voice, like the words themselves, but the, the power that was inside it was from the place that it was coming from, which is exactly what you're describing. Like uh, uh, it wasn't just me, like the little self, but it was the everything that includes me in there that, mm-hmm. that was speaking.
0: I one burning question. This is me with my more practical side. Sure. What happened when you arrived in Mexico? Did you have anyone meet you? Was there anyone there? Did you go to a dark room all by yourself? Was it a retreat?
1: Um, okay, so I, uh, the plants actually told me that it had to be Mexico, and I didn't understand and feel like there were other things that happened and that made sense. And this was, uh, the place that I found was, uh, basically it's a meditation center where they run meditation all the time and they also have on the side, they also have this room that is set up for if if people want to do a darkness retreat. Now um, the people usually that they have there comes and does the retreat like for 10 days. Usually maybe that's the, the standard and it's not very often like you know it's used but it's not like they have people all the time. And uh, so when I contacted them, when the plants was very clear, because the plants told me exactly the amount of time that I needed to be there. And uh, so it was very specific. So I called them up and I said like, is, you, is this room available uh, for 39 days? And they were like, what? And I was like, yeah, I know. Don't ask me, you know. I said, have you ever done a darkness region? No. And it's like, so usually, you know, maybe, what about if you start with five? Like, no, 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 I need to do 39. So either the room is available, or oh, it's not and the room was available so i went there and uh i was there for maybe a week before i went into the darkness and and i participated in the meditation there and and uh, and it, uh, it was really lovely you know it was very nice because uh, it allowed me to really sink in properly before entering into the darkness so then i entered into silence uh, just a few days before i got in the room and um, and one of the most amazing thing was that, you know, I was there for such a long time and the room is set up that it has got a little hatch, a little door in the wall where they can open from the outside, leave the, the, the food in the middle, close the door and then you open from inside so that they're always, like, always in darkness, so the light never comes in. And, uh, and it was, I was so touched because I guess, you know, over that period of time, Some new people arrived, people that didn't know who was in the dark room. They never met me when I arrived, but they arrived there and they were the one preparing my food. Mm. So these people was preparing food for me without even knowing who was in there. Uh, Just and I could feel, I could feel the different people who was preparing, who I knew. Uh, Oh, this is this person. And I know because I can feel that it's her making these. I can see the little touch that she would make, make for me. And then there will be other times, oh, I don't know this one. <laughs> and, uh, but the overwhelming feeling of like being, yeah, looked after at that basic level, um, it was uh, it was enormous. And when I came out actually, um, I stayed for another, maybe another 10 days and uh and I all I wanted to do was like please can I work in the kitchen. I'm happy to wash the dishes, do whatever, but I really wanna be in the kitchen because I just wanted to be able to be the one preparing the food or in whatever be part of that process for all of the other people that maybe, you know, they were doing the meditation silent retreat. And so it was like they were coming in and, and I was like, Yeah, I wanna I wanna be the one. Giving you the food because I know, you know, I know what it feels like when someone prepares food for you just for the love of it, literally. Yeah, it was all vegan actually, which was perfect because I'm vegan and so I didn't even have to ask for any special thing, it was just like a beautiful, beautiful, yeah, and very, uh, you know, it was always done very mindfully, very respectfully, very caring. And you could feel it. You could feel it when you're eating it. And in the dark, because there are no other distractions, I could feel everything. I could literally tell, you know, who was preparing my food, even if I didn't know the people. So amazing. Yeah. How did you find the place? Well, yeah, the plants were like, it's Mexico. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So I went online and I looked for like a dark room in Mexico. And this one popped up. There was... Another few places that there was a place in Thailand, which of course from Australia would have been much easier, (laughs) but they're like, "Uh -uh, (laughs) uh-uh, not Thailand. Then there was another place in uh, Guatemala, which looks, um, looked amazing. And, uh, but I tried to contact them and they didn't reply. Do you know those things like you contact, they don't reply and it's like, you're not meant to go there. (laughs) Well, these guys from Mexico, the reply came almost immediately. They asked me to do a Skype because they wanted to kind of interview me to make sure that, they, you know, if I was gonna go for that long, they, they were okay, you know? Yeah. And uh, so we did a little interview and, and they asked me, you know, have you got your own practice? And, you know, they just wanted to feel who was there. And so by the time I arrived, they already knew uh, that, you know, someone was coming to do this retreat and, and everyone was just, I just felt everyone was there. Uh, excited and supportive. It was just like, oh, this is amazing. You know, they, hmm. as always, what you do is not just for yourself. So yeah. we never had someone going in for that long. It's like, yeah, don't worry. I would have never thought of doing this myself. So yeah. So it was, um, yeah, it was really amazing. So I was alone in the sense that I was alone in the room. So the retreat was my retreat. And uh but i wasn't alone and uh and yeah and even in the most aloneness of my moments in the room uh i was never alone yeah and that was amazing so (laughs) i really enjoyed speaking with you yeah me too we'll be in touch thank you so much Susan. today you just uh Gave me a very precious gift.
0: This is Dr. Susan Irick for Earthfire Radio, a production of Earthfire Institute. If you would like to help with our mission to change how people see and therefore treat wildlife in nature. Please make a donation at our website, www.earthfireinstitute.org. The Soundscapes are by Wild Sanctuary Presents, Bernie Kraus and Philip Ahberg. Thank you for listening.